Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him and love him as the lead NFL writer for Heavy.com. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we're going to talk about it today, break it down, a recent report from Mike Kliss in which we learned that Emmanuel Sanders has not only been recovering from an Achilles tear and the subsequent surgery to repair it, but also a, a different ankle injury. Yeah, you know, it's it's troublesome in a sense that this would pop up now considering it's his non-injured Achilles ankle and the fact that, you know, he's older now. He's getting up there in age. Centering a contract here, like you said, Chad, he really, uh, the deck is stacked against him, but I'm encouraged by the fact that this was kept under wrap for so long. The fact that this didn't get out until now, until he's eight months removed from Achilles surgery, and he looks at or very, very uh, you know, close to 100%. So I don't think this would impact him too greatly this season, except for an aggravation or a setback. But it's just something to monitor for him. It's just something else to keep in mind when you consider that he's 33 and his body could be starting to break down a little bit. Yeah, I want to go through this close article just a little bit in depth here on today's episode. We'll get to some of the other uh, storylines that emerged from Monday's practice. But first, just a couple of quick reminders, especially for those of you who are new to the podcast, wherever you're listening, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod because that's how you keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. That's how you get in on our mailbag segments and all the good stuff. So take care of that. If you're on iTunes, leave us a creative review and a five-star rating if you like what you hear. And the same goes for all of our new subscribers and listeners on YouTube. Many of you are listening. Some of you are not subscribing, though. So take care of that business as well. Fantasy football fans, you got to listen up. Do you want to join the biggest NFL season-long tournament ever? Of course you do. 
If you love fantasy football, and we know you do, then you need to enter the $3.5 million best ball championship on draft. That's right, $3.5 million in real money. It is absolutely enormous. It's huge. It's season-long. But there's no management. You just set it, you forget it. So instead of agonizing over your lineup every single Sunday, Draft does the analysis for you, gives you the most efficient, best odds to win your matchup lineup week in and week out. You do a draft, 16 weeks later, you could be a millionaire. Literally. It does not get any easier than that. It's the highest rated fantasy app, and it's available on the App Store and Google Play or you can just go online to draft.com. For a limited time only, you can get a free entry into the Best Ball Championship when you make your first deposit. But you have to use our promo code HUDDLE. That's right, a free shot at a million dollars just by using our promo code HUDDLE when you make your first deposit on Draft. Also, a phenomenal way to support the Huddle Up podcast. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to draft.com and come play free with promo code HUDDLE. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach. So a couple things I want to touch on here in this Mike Kliss reveal. He says, uh, quote, the tightrope procedure did wonders while enabling Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa to play in the NCAA National Championship game last season just four weeks after he suffered a severe high ankle sprain. Emmanuel Sanders also swears by the procedure, although immediate pain precedes the remarkably swift gains in recovery. Sanders says that the tightrope was, quote, more painful than the Achilles surgery. Now, let me uh, grab a couple things here uh, from this article that I wanted to touch on. Give me one second. It is... uh, Okay, he says, quote, you knew about the Achilles injury. That happened during a practice last December as the Broncos were coming off their third consecutive victory and getting ready to play game 13 at San Francisco. Sanders missed the final four games and the Broncos lost all four. What Sanders didn't want revealed until he was fully ready to play again was the second surgery to his other ankle. He talked exclusively with Nine News about his right ankle repair following practice Monday. The right ankle injury, Broncos fans might recall, this is Cliss still writing, occurred as he was whacked while running a pattern across the middle in Game 5 of the 2017 season against the New York Giants. Sanders missed the next two games, played hurt for a couple more months, and then sat out the final two games as the Broncos fell completely out of playoff contention. That was Vance Joseph's first year. To go on uh, quoting Cliss, he says, He had the ankle massaged, iced, 
treated, and rehabilitated over the offseason, but it still didn't feel right going into 2018. Quote from Sanders, My right ankle gave me problems all last year. I came to camp last year thinking, how the hell am I going to get through this season? Close quote. He battled, got off to a terrific start, yada, yada, yada. And then uh, after Demarius Thomas was traded away, Sanders received increased attention from opposing uh, secondaries, but that ankle was not getting any better. And then Sanders goes on to say, Zach, and this is where I want to serve it over to you, that he feels like that, uh, that ankle that he was compensating for is the reason he tore his Achilles. And then Cliss even writes here, compensating for one injury often leads to another. Yeah, that's I've definitely I'm not a doctor, obviously, but I've definitely heard that happen with athletes before where if one foot it's, is weakened, let's say if they're using extra compensation or extra leverage to plan off it, it, it just makes them more susceptible. So that could definitely be the case. And that could explain why he did shred his Achilles in practice last year, a non-contact injury. Uh, we don't know. Uh, the only thing we can take from this chat is it, it was kept contained for this long, which means it's not too severe and hasn't re-aggravated him. And the fact that he came back from Achilles surgery and in practice he's looking really well and he adds that explosive element to the offense. As long as he stays healthy, Chad, these stories can be kept at bay. But it's something to monitor with him knowing how old he is and now with the injury history on his side. One last thing I want to touch on from this Cliss article. He says, quote, The same surgeon who repaired Sanders left Achilles in December – also repaired his right ankle a month later. The tightrope, according to multiple medical journal reports, involves drilling holes into the tibia and fibula at the ankle, then using a heavy, non-absorbable suture with metal buttons at both ends to hold the bones close together. Somehow, this procedure is famous for its quicker-than-usual recoveries from high ankle sprains, even if it's not immediately apparent. And then the last thing here, Cliss says, Balancing the recovery of one leg with that of another has its challenges, but now Sanders is 32 and practicing like he's 27, 28, and 29 when he had three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons for the Broncos while averaging 85 catches. So the upshot here that Cliss is trying to say is that the proof is going to be in the pudding. Emmanuel Sanders is you know, basically back to full strength. He's been hobbled for the better part of the last two years, and a lot of fans didn't even know it. And coming off that Achilles, now he's got his other ankle that was really the main source of, of what he believes led to the Achilles, could result, what Cliss is trying to say here, in a new and improved Emmanuel Sanders. Right, my apologies to Emmanuel. I added another year to his age. He is 32, not 33. Uh, it, it could. It could make him uh, more motivated. It could add to a career season, at least a bounce-back season that we've seen from Sanders because he's fallen off, Chad. He went from being a 1,000-yard guy annually to just – uh, sub 800 yards. It's not the capable Sanders that we've seen. Now fully healthy, now in a contract year, now motivated to become a Pro Bowl receiver, like he said, a top NFL top 100 wide receiver. I mean, all things point to him having some sort of comeback season. Whether it's enough to vault him back into that wide receiver one territory, I don't know. But he should be a, a significant contributor. And as long as he stays healthy, I think this offense will thrive. What's interesting is that John Elway, knowing all these procedures that were going on with Emmanuel Sanders, never hit the panic button and has basically stayed with him, knowing that he's on the hook for, you know, to use round numbers, somewhere around $10 bucks this year for Emmanuel Sanders. And I think the reason why is if we can all think back to that final quarter of the season, and Cliss kind of touches on this in the article, I mean, that Broncos offense just came to a screeching halt. And remember, they still had Phillip Lindsay for two and three quarters of that four-game stretch. Lindsey was injured in week 16 and then missed week 17. 
But even before that happened, I mean, think back to the first game that Sanders missed, that Niners game, and, you know, Cortland Sutton was talking a little bit of smack in the media about looking forward to playing Richard Sherman, who was once known as, you know, the shutdown corner of his era. And he got snubbed, man. He got shut down by court or by uh, Richard Sherman. And it just – the offense looked completely different, Zach, without Emmanuel Sanders. Something about his ability, his, his twitch, his route running ability to open things up for the rest of the offense to operate at at least, you know, a, ser- a serviceable level. And that must be, I think – the main reason why Elway, you know, who former quarterback himself, he knows how the how the bread gets buttered, is like, you know what, we're going to ride this out, come hell or high water, see how it shakes out, and hope for the best. Yeah, last year, the offense was definitely neutered without Sanders in the lineup. And this year, with better supporting cast and a better quarterback, hopefully, they wouldn't necessarily need Sanders to be successful or be average, but he adds another element to that offense. And it's a good point you made, Chad, about Elway kind of having all this confidence in Sanders. Remember, he didn't re-sign Matt Paradis partly because of that ankle injury. And that was just a clean break. That wasn't an Achilles tear. uh, You know, that's a career-threatening injury for a 32-year-old. So it says that Elway always had confidence. It stands that he always envisioned him as a big part of this offense, an explosive part of this offense. Same reason why he didn't sign a draft, a pure, speedy wide receiver. So as long as he stays healthy, uh, big things are in store for Denver and Sanders, who can cash in literally next offseason. Yeah, I mean, last year, even though he was playing with that bum ankle before the Achilles, he was having a career-caliber season. Like, had that Achilles not happened when it did and he didn't literally miss a full quarter of the year, I mean, he hauled in over 70 balls before he got hurt, over eight, almost 900 yards receiving, four touchdowns, threw a touchdown pass to Cortland Sutton in that Cardinals game, rushed for a touchdown, and that was on that bum ankle. So I think there might be a little something to this in terms of Sanders – kind of, as Cliss reported there, practicing like he's 27 or 28 instead of the 32-year-old getting long in the tooth guy. I just still think it's phenomenal and amazing, Chad, that he's back 100% from tearing his Achilles in only eight months. The turnaround in, in modern medicine nowadays is one thing, but for him, he had that work ethic all offseason. He uploaded video after video, training after training, showing every step of the way, and I give him a lot of credit for that. He documented it, and it's it's proven. These are facts. This is reality. If he can just continue this motivation and work ethic and not cause fights with his younger players like Cortland Sutton, uh, this offense can have a new element with him healthy and on top of everything else they already have. And for what it's worth, I mean, Monday, Sunday and Monday's practice, Sanders was out there working with the first team offense, connected with uh, Joe Flacco on a couple of big plays. So it's looking good. It's looking good. And even Joe Flacco, you know, before that Seahawks game in which he debuted as a Bronco in the final practice before they jumped on the plane and went to Seattle, he talked about how, you know, he believes that because both he and Sanders are, you know, basically 10-year-plus guys in the NFL, Sanders not quite as many years in the league as Flacco. He entered the league in 2010, Flacco in 08. But because of their experience – that that gives them a leg up in terms of being able to hit the ground running together, establish some chemistry, establish some cohesion, heading into that road opener in the regular season, which is of course going to take place in the black hole. Yeah, you know, and for you know Flacco, he Sanders can be that Steve Smith scrappy veteran receiver type, uh, just that that the veteran mentor presence in the in the receiving room 
along with the younger players and the sum of all the Broncos parts, they're both motivated, like you said, but the sum of all the parts together is going to make this offense go. Sanders is one element. Flacco is one element. But together, using his big arm and using Sanders' speed, and hopefully it's still intact fully, uh, you have something there. So I'm excited to see it when it all comes together starting week one in Oakland. Now, while we're on the topic of Sanders, again, Vic Fangio confirmed or at least said publicly that he expects Sanders to debut in terms of 2019 in the preseason. He also went on to say that he was asked specifically about Jake Butt, whether or not Jake Butt needs to play in the preseason to make the team. And by the way, Butt has returned to practice. He's still been limited. He's participated in the early portions of the last two practices, but he hasn't yet gotten back into the full swing of 11-on-11 periods. And so he was asked whether or not He's going to later this week participate with the Niners coming. And Fangio wasn't sure of that, maybe he said. But then he was asked whether or not he needs to play in the preseason, Jake Butt, to make the team in which Fangio replied, quote, that's too much of a hypothetical question. There are too many other factors, maybe, but maybe not, close quote. So, Zach, it's a kind of a two-pronged question I want to throw at you. A, do you think the Broncos need to bother with putting Emmanuel Sanders out there in the preseason? And do you think Butt needs to kind of ply his wares in an actual preseason game in order to kind of persuade the Broncos to keep him on the 53-man roster this year? Well, you know, that wasn't a very ring endorsement by Vic Fangio to say that. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, in terms of Emmanuel Sanders, I like the fact that he wants to be out there. And like I just said, I commend the fact that he got to be able to this point to be out there. But I don't know, aside from getting a few reps, what the Broncos stand to gain by risking him to injury or any sort of freak accident setback with that ankle or that Achilles, excuse me. They know what they have in him. Just for chemistry alone, yeah, I can understand it. You just hope that there's no uh, bad hit, no, you know, he did, he plants the wrong way. He doesn't aggravate that because in a preseason game, there's nothing you hate to see more. Uh, in terms of Jake Butt, I'm always been of the opinion that he's not a roster lock. Considering the Broncos won a first-round tight end, considering they went Troy Fumagalli last year, they have Jeff Hireman as the veteran guy, but doesn't really fit in. He already hit his setback in his recovery, a uh, pothole, as Vic Fangio called it. He's coming back from his third ACL tear, which I've always thought, and I think you agree with me, Chad, it was kind of improbable to expect the Broncos to get any sort of production out of this guy. So yeah, if I'm the Broncos, if I'm Vic Fangio, but is playing for his roster spot, I have no allegiance to him. That was the previous regime. He was a fifth-round pick. He's not a first-round guy. You have your replacement on the roster, you use a first-round pick on him. If he can't perform, if he can't even show he can be consistent and stay out of the trainer's room, I don't see a roster spot for him, Chad. Yeah. I don't know, man. There's times that I think he really needs to get out there. If he doesn't get out there, it's you know his opportunity is going to dry up. And then there's other times where, you know, reading the almost like the organizational body language, it's not so much what they're saying, it's what they're doing. I think twice and I think, you know what, I think this is a team that's a lot more invested in butt than we realize. Like, I don't think, I don't know, there's so just my gut is telling me that he's not nearly on the thin ice that, you know, guys like us think he is from the outside looking in. I think the team is going to remain patient with him, just barring some unforeseen deal like maybe if he's you know they're working him back again after he suffered a setback to open camp and if he maybe suffers another significant setback you know they put him on injured reserve possibly and say look but you know we we don't have time to figure this out these 53 spots on the roster are extremely valuable you know best case scenario is we take a look see 
after the first eight games, work you back into practice. If it's looking like you're good to go, you know, we'll, we'll promote you and, and use you as one of the two IR designations to return for the year. That's the worst case. But I still think that the team's plan, like, even though rationally I have a harder time seeing it because he just hasn't done anything, he's only appeared in what now, Zach, three games as a Bronco yep. and he's in his third year. I don't know, though. I think John Elway has a, a real soft spot for him. You know, to your point, I think he does only because of the name recognition. He was a major player in Michigan. He should have been a second, third round pick if not for that knee injury. And the Broncos that year, everyone lauded that pick, myself included, because they got a steal. But two more ACL injuries later, Chad, I mean, what more do you want, do you want to see? What more do you want him to go through before he, he's just not going to be left on the roster for one more year? I'm not going to press the, the panic button. I'm not going to say cut him just yet. It's a little extreme to say that. But PUP? For sure. IR, maybe. You know, stash him on the roster. You can save a roster spot for someone else, and you have three other capable tight ends who can still play. But for me, if he can't get on the field soon, it's already August 12th. Half the preseason pretty much is over. I mean, he's kind of running out of time now to start working his way up the depth chart. Now Troy Fumagalli is coming up. Jake Buck caught a break with uh, Austin Fork going down, unfortunately. He caught a break with Noah Fant being a little behind his development. But time is running out for him to get at least back on the field, yeah. let alone start making plays. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I mean, my opinion is this. Broncos, I understand that you want to kind of, you know, showcase the Ferrari, so to speak. But in terms of Emmanuel Sanders, I don't think there's any reason to put him out there in August. And conversely with Jake Butt, if he's good enough to go in 11-on-11s, then try and push him into action and see how he holds up. You know, because it's not just a matter of, Zach, you know, the confidence you have in running on the knee and cutting and, you know, all the the individual internal aspects that come with a player rehabbing from a significant injury. But also, once you get into an actual live contact setting, live bullets, I mean, it, the bodies are flying around, do you play in a shell? Do you go into a shell? Or do you still play with that? I mean, you're focused. You're an NFL player, but at the same time, NFL players, you know, if you're a tight end, you got to be fearless going across the middle like that. you kind of got to play with a, a sort of emotional, reckless abandon. And if I'm the Denver Broncos, even if he's showing me that in practice, before I decide whether or not to use one of my valuable 53-man roster spots, I've pretty much got nothing to lose up to this point. I'm going to roll him out there and see how he does with against some outside competition. You, you took the words out of my mouth. The Broncos have absolutely nothing to lose. And it's a sad way to put it, but if he goes out there and he gets hurt again, I mean, they have three other tight ends, including their first-round pick. If he goes out there and performs and stays healthy, they have a guy who they're still vested in and he can contribute to this offense. So you're right, Chad. I agree with you. They have nothing to lose by throwing him out there. Emmanuel Sanders, though, I, I mostly agree with you. I would like just a couple live bullet reps with Joe Flacco, literally just one or two plays to get some chemistry down and then take him out and sit him down. That would give him confidence he got back in the game, shut him down until the regular season, and then go from there. I could live with it, but at least just wait till the dress rehearsal game, the second-to-last preseason game, and just one possession type thing, get him off the field, because yeah. that's how important he is. Like, you know, he's kind of uh, he can he can kind of be a you know what at times. He's not the greatest of leader. His he doesn't have the greatest tonality. I think in the way his his message resonates with his teammates. But in terms of production on the field, he could be the difference between you know at least a respectable, modestly explosive Broncos offense in 2019 and yet another just subpar lackluster unit. And so that would be that would be my take. Now we still got a lot to get to. Um, 
We want to talk about the latest that has happened with Malik Reed. The Broncos really seem to be vaulting him in the wake of their decision to cut Jeff Holland. We'll get to that here in just a second. First, we've got to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach, we kind of ran long on our first segment, so I only want to touch on this last topic here, and that is the fact that, as we, t- we talked about on yesterday's pod, the Broncos, of course, waived Jeff Holland, and the big reason behind that, of course, was that Malik Reed has just rendered him, and likely everyone else, when it's all said and done, expendable. He's just been really the breakout, under-the-radar star of training camp and of the preseason thus far. And I thought it was interesting, Zach. First, I want to read this quote to our, our listeners of what Vic Fangio had to say in terms of how Malik Reed has impressed him and the coaches thus far. He said, quote, He's played good. He likes to hit people, which is job description number one for an NFL linebacker. And he's got good instincts and good feel. He doesn't know everything yet. A lot of it is still new to him. He was a guy that played multiple positions in college, really never had a home there. We're glad to have him. And then following Vic Fangio's time at the podium, Zach, the Broncos made an undrafted rookie available to the media, which, you know, isn't completely... uh, out of out of nowhere or unprecedented, but it's pretty rare. It's pretty odd, and especially the fact that he's not a local boy. You know, he come he came from Nevada. So Malik Reed got up there and talked a little bit about you know just staying focused and bringing heart to this thing. And I thought it was cool. I think Malik Reed is one of these players, Zach, under the radar. No longer, he's an ascending player. I mean, look at him like a he. I think he in terms of like stock and and cred in the eyes of the coaching staff like he's as valuable valued to them as like a Justin Hollins is at this point right and or to what a Joe Jones was to Vance Joseph last year and you know he really is an ascending player and it's good for the Broncos that he's a Fangio guy through and through Chad he really is he loves to hit he's versatile he, he's a, a, a student of the game he's paying his dues and he's working his ass off in, in practice and he already forced one guy's release and they didn't wait till final cuts they released him now after the second preseason game because Malik Reed outplayed Jeff Holland that badly and I was a Holland guy but Reed is just an all-around more complete player. He's better against the run. He's better uh, as a pass rusher. And he really is the direct backup right now to Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. And you have those three, and you have the interior presence of Derek Wolf, of Shelby Harris, Draymond Jones. I mean, you have a scary defense that should accumulate a lot of sacks this year. All right, actually, last thing I want to say uh, um, on, this, on today's podcast, then we'll get out of here. Last topic is Tim Patrick has been getting first-team reps, and it was even observed. I'm sorry, I can't remember the reporter who tweeted this. It might have been Ryan Koningsberg from BSN. I can't remember for sure. But uh, that he was going out onto the first team, and uh, Cortland Sutton was following behind him in terms of the rotation. And so he was asked, Vic Fangio, whether it was by design that Tim Patrick is getting all these first-team reps. And I want to read two quick quotes his remarks on the subject. He said, no, I think we're just rolling those four guys. And Zach Azani, the wide receivers coach is trying to keep track of the reps. I think it's just happening by happenstance more than anything big to read into. And then they made a comment, one of the media saying, looks like he catches everything that's thrown to him, Tim Patrick. And I love Vic Fangio's response here. He goes, quote, he needs to, he's a bigger receiver, big <laughs> receivers that don't run fast, better catch everything. So Interesting to see just kind of the the buzz he's picking up, Tim Patrick, there with his new head coach. 
It is, but you know what? I'm not saying he's in any sort of danger, but it really feels like he's not garnering any sort of buzz in this training camp, Chad. It feels like it's all going toward Cortland Sutton, Jawan Winfrey, Deshaun Hamilton when he was healthy. And Tim Patrick's still a great player, but he's definitely not you know, among the, the stars of training camp. But that's just Vic Fangio big Vic, being Vic Fangio, and I wouldn't uh, read into anything with the rotation. They were having Josh Watson with the first-string linebackers. That's what Vic Fangio does. He wants to see what these young players are capable of. And uh, Tim Patrick seems to be impressing uh, the media, impressing his teammates. He's a good player. I-, I just don't think in Fangio's eyes he's been among the stars of camp. All right, you guys. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up podcast. And by the way, I think it was uh, yesterday's pod. I was talking about how the schedule – no, it was Friday's pod. Or excuse me. Jeez. This, this, the last two weeks have got me turned around. It was the pod you guys listened to on Saturday. Zach and I recorded it Friday. But this week's schedule is going to be a little bit different because, Zach, I, for some reason, had it in my head the Broncos were playing the Niners on Saturday. It's Monday night. So mm-hmm. just kind of stay on top of our Twitter accounts. We'll be letting you know what episodes are coming when. It's still going to be a daily podcast, obviously, all through the week. And you'll get a fresh episode of Building the Broncos tomorrow on Wednesday, so stay tuned for that. Zach and I will return. And then over the weekend, you'll just have to stay tuned. We'll have to figure out exactly what the schedule is going to be, what we're going to do at the top of next week with the game being Monday night and the gut reaction and all all that. So make sure you're following us on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner here, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at KelbermanNFL. Myself, at Chad N. Jensen. Talk to you guys tomorrow. For Zach, I'm Chad. See you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.